save believers to serve Christ. Peace to you, friends and members. Uh, my name is Luke, in case we have any new friends joining us today. Well, first of all, congratulations, everyone. According to the Shanghai news release this week, 5月17日上海发布, 目前全市16个区都已实现社会面清零。we have achieved dynamic zero COVID for all 16 districts in Shanghai since May 17. So congratulations. Whether you agree with the dynamic zero COVID policy or not, congratulations because you have been a part of the 2022 Shanghai COVID lockdown that you can tell other people years from now. For all this achievement, who do we have to thank? Well, there are many people to thank for sure, from the Tuanzangs, the Group Bai leaders, to the Da Bais, the Bunny Suited volunteer. Well, for one, I think we could thank Vice Premier Sun Chunlan. In a previous news release from the beginning of May, it says this, Gong that the Vice Premier Sun Chunlan is to 
习近平总书记重要指示，坚定不移执行动态清零总方针。Or Vice Premier Sun Quanlai is giving admission from the General Secretary Xi Jinping to convey and implement without wavering the dynamic zero COVID policy. Now, whether we agree with the policy or the implementation method or not. I hope we can appreciate and respect the commitment Vice Premier Sun Quanlong has to answer this call and follow through with a mission or an assignment that is given to her. Now, to Sun Quanlong, this mission has great impact to people, and is probably very important to her personally, especially to her political career. But I'm not sure she knows there is another call. To another mission that can have far greater impact to people and far greater personal meaning. My prayer is that all of us will understand this call from God, and that we should be a part of this heavenly mission. Today we will read and study the book Isaiah in the Bible. Please turn your copy of the Bible to Isaiah chapter six. You can follow along as I read for us, and as I read, please think about how and why Isaiah responded to God's call. Here is Isaiah chapter six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each has six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts; the whole earth is full of His glory." And the foundation of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, "Woe is me, for I am lost." For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he has taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, "Behold, this has touched your lips; your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for." And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" Then I said, "Here I am, send me." And he said, "Go, and say to this people, 'Keep on hearing, but do not understand; keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes.'" Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, "How long, O Lord?" And he said, "Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land." And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burnt again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. 
last time I preached, I mentioned that Isaiah is an ancient Eastern writing. So it is written in a recursive or progressively repeated manner. The book of Isaiah can be roughly divided into seven conversations or repetitions, all centered around the same topic of transformation of God's people. The idea of transforming his people from the corrupt old into the glorious new by God. The first repetition was chapter 1, where Isaiah spoke about this transformation from the perspective of sin. If you remember, Israel, a sinful nation, was confronted by God. But God also said that the sin like scarlet shall be made white as snow. We learn that believers are saved from our sinful selves. The second repetition I preached on last time was from chapter 2 to chapter 4. In this second conversation, Isaiah spoke about the transformation of God's people from the perspective of the final judgment day. If you remember, we talked about the latter days and in that day, the day of judgment. We learned that believers will be restored to glory on that judgment day. Today we are in the third conversation, which is a section that covers Isaiah chapter 5 all the way to chapter 12, considering the transformation of God's people from the perspective of history. In chapter 5, Isaiah first expresses Israel's history with God in a poem. This poem, or some call it a song, spoke about a vineyard to express how God has done everything for his vineyard, which is his people. Yet the vineyard yielded, quote-unquote, wild grapes, or bad grapes, instead of sweet grapes or good fruits. You know, these, quote-unquote, wild grapes or bad fruits are summarized as six woes or, or six sins of his people. The woe of greed, the woe of self-indulgence, the woe of denying God, the woe of falsehood, the woe of self-dependence, and finally, the woe of corruption. Toward the end of chapter 5, Isaiah says, Therefore, therefore, or because of these woes, God's judgment and discipline will come in the form of conquering nations and exile of the Israelites. Isaiah is prophesizing the unfortunate coming history of Israel being invaded, and people being captured and put in exile. Today we will dig into chapter 6, still focusing on the history of Israel. But we will also read about Isaiah's personal history. In particular, his famous calling and commission to serve the Lord. Here is the main idea for today. God saved believers to serve Christ. As an outline, we will break the passage into two sections. Number one, who we are, verse 1 to 5. And the second section, our proper response, verse 6 to 13, our proper response. So let's go back to verses 1 to 5 in Isaiah chapter 6. 
I call this section who we are, but actually the full sentence is who God is reveals who we are. Who God is reveals who we are. We first need to see who God is. Chapter 6 started with Isaiah's vision seeing the Lord. So what did Isaiah see? Let me read for us verse 1 to 4 again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each has six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation, the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Who is this God that Isaiah saw? Let me make three observations. Number one, he is eternal and reigning. God is eternal and reigning. Look again at verse one. Isaiah gave us a datable event in history. This is the year that King Uzziah died. So this would be around 740 BC. The story of King Uzziah could be found in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. It is recorded that Uzziah reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. He actually started out well and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. But later on it says, But when the nation was strong, Uzziah grew proud to his destruction. And this happened when Uzziah was confronted by the priests who were being unfaithful to God by performing the duty of a priest that is not allowed for a king. And instead of repenting, Uzziah got angry, so leprosy broke out, and Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. So in this backdrop of the rise and fall of an earthly king, King Uzziah that died, what did Isaiah see? Well, in contrast to an earthly king that died, Isaiah saw the eternal king that is alive. Large part of verse 5 says, For my eye has seen the king, the Lord of hosts, the everlasting living king that commands the armies of the heavenly host. We see that this guy is not only alive and eternal, but he is reigning as king because when we look back in verse 1, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. He is sitting. He's sitting upon a throne, a position of total control and of reign. And one more detail to notice is, is where, where is God reigning from? God is sitting high and lifted up, and the train of his robe, it doesn't fill a palace. It fills the temple. So not only a king, but also a priest, I believe. So who is this God that Isaiah saw? Isaiah saw God as the eternal and reigning king. Who is this God? Let me make a second observation. He is awesome 
and revered. God is awesome and revered. In Isaiah's vision, starting in verse 2, he saw seraphim above this God. The Hebrew seraphim means flames. We can only guess that these are maybe fiery angelic beings. He saw many of them because verse 3 says, one call to another. And we also know that these beings must be powerful because verse 4 says, when they call to one another, the foundation of the threshold shook. Can you imagine a building shook just from someone calling to another? Finally, let's notice that what these seraphim are doing. Verse 2 says, they have six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Now from the description of these powerful, fiery, angelic beings and their posture, around the Lord God, what can we conclude? Well, God must be awesome to be able to create beings like these seraphim. And God must be revered for even a perfectly created angelic being needed to cover his face and his feet around God. So God must be awesome and must be revered. Let me ask again, who is this God? The third and final observation. Number three, he is holy and glorious. God is holy and glorious. Verse three, Isaiah, in his vision, heard the seraphim call to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I think it is easy to see that God is described as holy and glorious. But what is holiness when used to describe God and what is his glory? When we talk about created beings or things, holy means separated from the common to be dedicated, devoted, or set aside for God. But when holy is used to talk about God, God doesn't seem to be able to be dedicated, devoted, or set aside for himself, right? But still, I think it has the idea of being separate, being apart from something else. Holiness, when talking about God, means absolute moral purity and separateness from creation. Separateness from creation. That God is holy means he is utterly separate or different from creation. Essentially, when it comes down to it, God is God. But when Moses asked God who he should tell the people that sent him, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And God says, said this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Okay, so if holy is describing the Almighty, majestic, the total otherliness that God is. Holy, holy, holy said three times. I think it's just trying to emphasize that even just saying it once is not enough to describe this otherly magnificentness of God. A holy, holy, holy God. 
now we need to understand what God's glory is a bit too. I like John Piper's definition of God's glory. He says God's glory is when his holiness goes public. His holiness goes public or a radiance of his holiness. For the Israelites in the wilderness, it is expressed in the form of a cloud where the people could see it. It is expressed, it's public. Verse 3 says, the whole earth is full of his glory. So we see bits of that glory in creation. Have you seen a sunrise maybe coming out of the ocean? Or maybe have you been on top of a mountaintop and just seen the vast expanse of the earth underneath? Or maybe stare at a newborn baby in wonder? I think these are little glimpses of that holiness, otherness, what John Piper call, also calls it sweetness of God, public expression of God's holiness, the glory of God. Who is this God that Isaiah saw? Isaiah saw a God who is holy and glorious. God who is absolutely holy and full of glory. So in light of this eternal, reigning, awesome, revered, holy and glorious God, what is Isaiah's response? Was Isaiah so excited to see God that he lifted his hands in the air, started dancing and say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord? Well, not quite right. If you look at verse 5, Isaiah say, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, a host. Woe is me, for I am lost. Or maybe other ways to express that would be, I'm doomed, I'm ruined, I'm a piece of dead meat. In light of this holy God, Isaiah recognizes his uncleanness or sinfulness. The holy God reveals Isaiah's uncleanness. Before this God who is absolutely pure, Isaiah realizes his filthiness or his wickedness. So he confesses. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You know, this is similar response that Jacob has after wrestling with God. In Genesis 32, 30, Jacob said, I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Like Isaiah, Jacob also recognized that he should have died seeing a holy God. In Exodus 33, 30, God told Moses, You cannot see my face, for man shall see me, for no man shall see me and live. In light of who God is, Isaiah is shown who he is, that he is unclean and unworthy and probably should have been struck dead seeing the holy God. 
Well, I believe who God is also reveals who we are. God is holy and we are unclean. Not unclean in the sense of physically dirty, but when compared to a holy God with absolute moral purity, we are wicked and we are evil. Maybe you said, well, I haven't done anything that bad. Well, maybe just check our motivations and thoughts. Imagine ourselves standing before a God who knows what is in our minds. I mean, if, even if other people can read our mind, we would probably be embarrassed many times of our wicked and evil thoughts, right? Can you imagine being before the holy God of the universe and he knowing those thoughts? Woe is me, I am lost is probably the right response. We are unclean, we are wicked, we are evil, we are depraved, we are guilty, and we are sinful beings. Who God is reveals who we are. Maybe it's fitting to take a pause here to examine ourselves. We need to be shown who we really are to have a proper relationship to God. To recognize who we are in light of a holy, holy, holy God. Let me give us two diagnostic questions to help examine ourselves. The first question, do we often first judge others for their evil deeds instead of first recognizing our own evil thoughts? Do we often first judge others for their evil deeds instead of first recognizing our evil thoughts. If we are often judging others for their evil deeds and not recognizing our own evil thoughts, I'm concerned we might not be realizing who we truly are in light of who God is. A second question to help us. Do we often make excuses for our wickedness instead of confessing our wickedness? If we often make excuses, like maybe our, excuse, uh, our wickedness is not as bad as someone else or, or excuses like our wickedness is, well, maybe just once in a while. I'm concerned we might not understand our true position in light of who God is. The Holy God reveals our unclean beings. This is a terrible place to be, yet we need to know honestly and rightly who we are before we are able to do something about it. Thank be to God that who He is reveals who we really are. Good thing God's story never ends there. Our second section is our proper response, our proper response. The full sentence is, who Christ is reveals our proper response. You might ask, where's Christ in this passage? It is amazing how Jesus Christ is always a part of God's story. Let me try to show you. After Isaiah confesses being unclean, let's see what happens. 
Let me read verse 6 and 7. Look there with me. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lip. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So what is happening here? There is an altar. An altar is usually the place where sacrifices and offerings are burned in worship. The Israelites and Isaiah understood the system of animal sacrifices to the Lord. And that the sacrifice is what God required for the atonement of sins. To receive forgiveness from God for these sins. But there are some questions we have here. How can the seraph, that's singular for seraphim, which is the plural form, the fiery angelic being, take burning coal from the altar and pronounce Isaiah's guilt taken away and sin atoned for? Where is the sacrifice? Who made the sacrifice to enable Isaiah's guilt be taken away and his sin be atoned for? Yeah, I believe in scripture is the answer. The answer is found in Hebrews 10, verses 12 to 14. Hebrews 10, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for one, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting for that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. Jesus Christ died on the altar that is shaped as a cross, but was raised to life on the third day to sit the right hand of God. Jesus has through the single offering perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. That's Hebrew 10, 14 again. But this includes Isaiah and all those in the Old Testament times looking forward to a Messiah, a Savior. And it includes all those in the New Testament, all of us, until Christ comes again. All of us looking back to that cross-shaped altar where Jesus offered for all times a single sacrifice for our sin to take away our guilt. So where is Christ in Isaiah's vision? Where is Christ in this passage? Christ was on the altar. Christ sacrificed himself for the atonement of sins. But Christ was no longer on the altar because he was raised to life and sat down at the right hand of God, the Father, to reign as king. Again, where is Christ? Christ was on the altar. Christ sacrificed himself for the atonement of sins. But Christ was no longer on the altar because he was raised to life and sat down at the right hand of God, the Father, to reign as king. From now on, whenever we read this passage or sing the hymn, Holy, 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 I pray that we will not just imagine the seraphim and the Lord sitting on the throne, 
I pray that we will also see this altar before the throne. This cross-shaped altar where Christ had offered himself as a sacrifice for my sin, for your sins, for everyone who confesses and repents before God. Romans 10, 8-10, the Apostle Paul writes this. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is just justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Let me read that last verse again. Romans 10, 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, this image of the burning coal taken from the altar and touched Isaiah's mouth. Look again in Isaiah 6, verse 7. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah confesses with his mouth and by the grace of God. And this is the grace of God because Isaiah didn't ask for the coal. God allowed a seraph to bring the coal, touch Isaiah's lips and save him. He said, your guilt, this guilt which leads to shame is taken away. And your sin, the sin which will lead to death, is atoned for. Friends here today that are maybe not yet a believer in Jesus. Or children here that have not confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I urge you to find a friend or a parent to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The promise from God is that you will be saved. When you stand before the Holy God one day and realize, Woe is me, I am lost. Christ will come and say, You belong to me. You are not lost. Welcome home. Jesus will say the same thing to us every time we come to him. You belong to me. You are not lost. Welcome home. Remember that. Remind ourselves of that. You know, yesterday when I was preparing this message, I, I cried when I got to this part. I don't know why thinking of Jesus saying welcome home just got me super emotional. I realized how much I wanted to go home. Most of you know we are going quote-unquote home to the U.S. for a visit leaving next week. Maybe it was built up emotion from that. I realized it was, it was more than that. I was born in Taiwan and lived there for the first 12 years of my life. Was that home? I live in the U.S. for the next 20 years in New York and Boston and Michigan. Are those home? We have lived now in Ningbo, in Jiaxing, and in Shanghai for the past 13 years. Is this home? For our kids, it is always a difficult question too. Is U.S. our home or China our home? Even for many of us here 
Is Shanghai our home or wherever our Lao Jia is our home? Some may say wherever our family is, that is our home. Where our brother Joe reminded us in his sermon last week that we should be devoted to the Lord because even our family relationships are temporary when compared to God. I cry because when I imagine Jesus telling me, welcome home, there was just such sweetness and relief in that. So let me remind us again, our home is with Christ. That is where we belong, where we are found, and where we are home. So who is Christ? Christ, our Savior, is our priest and our King. He sacrificed himself on the cross-shaped altar and sat down as King. Remember earlier we noticed in verse 1, the Lord is sitting upon a throne, but his robe filled the temple? I believe it is Christ, our priestly king, sitting on that throne. Who Christ is reveals our proper response. Let's continue with verse 8 to see how Isaiah responded and I believe it will inform us on how our proper response to Christ should be as well. So Isaiah says in verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. First, let's notice the Lord's calling. The Lord said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Did you notice the word us there? Who will go for us? Now that's interesting. Some people said the Lord uses us because there were also seraphim there. So us is referring to the Lord and the seraphim. That is a possible interpretation. I however am leaning more toward that this is talking about the Trinitarian God. One God, but three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, all being one in essence, but three distinct offices. I think this because the Lord referred to himself both as I and us in one sentence. Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? The eternal trinity three in one God. Second, I think we should understand that the Lord is not lacking in someone to send or to go for him. I think this is asked in a way to allow for genuine response. It's asked in a way to allow for a genuine response. Imagine if I if I come to you and ask in a and, and, and ask you, can I send you to go get some milk for me? If you say yes, did you say yes because you genuinely wanted to serve or did you say yes because even though you didn't want to, you felt obligated and 不好意思 to turn me down? Finally, we see that Isaiah said, 
Here I am, send me. He responded voluntarily, willingly, and genuinely to the call. Here I am, I believe, is a response of gratitude. In light of Christ's sacrifice, here I am. I'm not lost, I'm found. Thank you, here I am. It is a response in it is a response in gratitude. And the second part, send me. I believe send me is a response of service. In light of Christ's kingship, send me, or I serve at the pleasure of the king. Isaiah is ready to serve. He is ready for service. So Isaiah's response is a gratitude to serve God. Isaiah responded in gratitude to serve God. Immediately, we see that God commissioned Isaiah for his ministry. God gives Isaiah his mission. Before we continue, let me just spend a minute on the idea of ministry. But ministry is just another word for service. Just want to remind many of us that are in ministry. Ministry doesn't mean running some church program or fighting for social justice or helping people. Yes, it may result in all of those things, but ministry at the core is service. Serving others for the sake of Christ or serving Christ through serving others. Serving Christ through serving others is the essence of ministry. So God commissioned Isaiah for service to serve him. God gives Isaiah his mission and say, this is how you can serve me. Follow me, starting in verse 9, again there. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I say, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until city lie waste, without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is desolate waste, and the land is a desolate waste, and the land and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tent remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terabith or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy sea is its stump. So for Isaiah, he is to go and say. He is to go to God's people and give them God's message. Unfortunately, God's message for his people at that time is a tough one for Isaiah to deliver. In verses 9 to 10, because of their sins, God is hardening people's heart to understand God's plan for salvation. God's plan of salvation. 
When, when Isaiah asks how long, God says until the events in verses 11 to 13 happens. Verse 11 is talking about cities and land lie wasted. And this is prophesizing God's judgment in the form of a Syrian invasion, which came about in 701 BC. Verse 12, when he talked about the Lord removing people far away, this is prophesizing God's judgment in the form of the Babylonian exile. This also came about in Israel's history in 538 BC. But finally, verse 13 gives hope because even though God's judgment of the Israelites will need to be repeated in their history, verse 13 says, it will be burned again. But it also says not everyone will perish. Some will remain. Some will remain faithful and there will be a remnant. And from that remnant will come a holy seed as we read and as we read at the very end of verse 13. This holy seed of course, was fulfilled in Jesus. John chapter 12, verse 37 to 40 says this of Jesus. Though he, Jesus, had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I will heal them. The Apostle John was quoting Isaiah 6 verse 10. Isaiah responded to God's grace in gratitude to serve. He served God by being commissioned to deliver God's message to his people. Well, who Christ is reveals our proper response. In light of who Christ is, is our response in gratitude to serve God? I believe for Christians now, God has already given us our mission to serve Christ. In fact, Jesus has already commissioned all believers by the Great Commission. This mission is given in slightly different form in all four Gospels in the Bible calling us to serve Christ. Matthew 28:19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Luke 24, 47. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin 
should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. This is God's global mission plan. His mission is to proclaim the gospel to all nations. The gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. As God the Father has sent Jesus, he is sending us in his service to make disciples of all nations. So back in 1996, I was in college and many things happened to me that year. For the beginning of the year, I became friends with Anita. We would be friends for more than two years before we started dating. In 1996, I also failed two of my college classes. Nothing to do with Anita. I did it all by myself. Also in 1996, towards the end of that year, I went to a missions conference called Urbana 96. It was the first time I fully realized that God had a much bigger plan than just my personal relationship with him. But I think the most important thing happened that year, 1996, looking back now, was a retreat that I attended with my church that fall. That retreat was on Isaiah 6. And the theme was, here I am, send me. At the end of the retreat, we were given this paper to write how we wanted to commit to Christ. And I actually found this slip of paper in one of my old Bible as I was preparing this message on Isaiah 6. On the piece of paper, it was dated October 20th, 1996. It was a check that says, pay to the order of Jesus Christ. And I responded, writing on it, whatever you want. On the memo line, I wrote, thank you to Jesus, and I signed my name. I think I was genuine, but maybe also a little foolish. Like many of you, I responded to God out of gratitude, and then God opened my eye and my mind to his global mission. But that was my first step. I told God, here I am, send me. I give you whatever you want. So brothers and sisters, for, for us, maybe it's more like Ethan Hunt in the Mission Impossible movies. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, dot, dot, dot. We need to first accept. We need to say, here I am, send me. The good thing is that it is not Mission Impossible, it is Mission Guaranteed. God guarantee our trip home to be with Christ. If you want some recommendation on books to read on God's global mission, here are two books on that. The first book, Let the Nations Be Glad, 
Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper, P-I-P-E-R. Let the Nations Be Glad. And a second book about a missionary, A Chance to Die, The Life and Legacy of Amy Carmichael. A Chance to Die, The Life and Legacy of Amy Carmichael, C-A-R-M-I-C-H-A-E-L. It's actually written by Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T. Okay, so if we look back at verse 9, it's not only telling Isaiah, go and say. In light of the New Testament, I believe it's also telling us, go and say. Let me end today sharing a few last thoughts on how do we go and what do we say. How do we go and what do we say as we participate serving Christ in his mission? Two things on how do we go? Number one, go as witnesses. Go as witnesses. In verse 4 today in Isaiah 6, it says, For my eyes have seen the king, meaning I am a witness of the king. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you will receive power when, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What have you witnessed? What have you experienced? What have you learned about God? Go with these experiences, the things that God has allowed you to see, to be a witness of, and have learned, they are uniquely to be used and shared in witnessing to others the God that we know. Use the joy God has given you to witness for Him, and even more so, use the pain that God has given you to witness for Him. Start talking to others about God, the amazing God that you and I have witnessed. Again, how do we go? Number two, go as servants. Go as servants. Verse 8 today, the Lord asks, Who will go for us? Meaning, who will be my servants? Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man, that's talking about Jesus, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, being a servant protects us from pride. The story of King Uzziah, which you heard earlier, is such a case. When God made the nation strong, he became proud. And that was his downfall. How many church leaders we have read in the news recently that fell because of pride. Maybe we will not be able to handle being strong. So in God's mercy, He keeps us weak. But if we do find ourselves given authority, remember, we are servants to Christ. It is not about us. Having a servant attitude could protect us from pride. So how do we go? I pray that we would go as servants 
of the king and witnesses to the world. One last extra word on go. Go doesn't mean it has to be another place. Go just means go to where non-Christians are. And non-Christians are everywhere around us. Lastly, two things on what do we say? What do we say? The first thing, as we go to unbelievers, as we go to unbelievers, what we say, what our message to the non-Christians is to proclaim the gospel. In our passage today, the last part of verse 10, capture is simply as, turn and be healed. This is another way to say, repent. So, what do we say to the unbelievers? We proclaim the gospel and say, God calls us to repent. What do we say in number two? Number two, as we go to the believers, as we go to the believers, what we say, what our message to the Christian is to remember the gospel. To remember the gospel. In our passage today, verse 13 tells us it will be burned again. So believer needs to persevere because we along with the world will suffer again and again to be refined. But the verse also tells us the stump remains and the holy sea is in its stump. So believer can have hope because of Christ which is this holy sea. So what do we say to the believers? We tell each other to remember the gospel and persevere with hope. To remember the gospel and persevere with hope. If you notice, both the believers and the unbelievers, we need to know the gospel to proclaim it and to remember it. I like how our brother Brian tried to help us to explain the gospel or try to remember the gospel with three easy words. The gospel start with the letter G. The word gospel start with the letter G, so he uses three G words to help us explain the gospel. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. Our sin and guilt before God causes us shame. God in his grace sent Jesus to die on the cross for our salvation. When we repent and believe in Jesus, our gratitude should result in service to God. So I made slight addition to our brother's Ryan 3G words pairing with 3S words. Guilt produces shame. Grace produces salvation. Gratitude should produce service. Guilt Grace, gratitude, results in shame, salvation, and service. This is one way to remember how to explain the gospel. Well, we should conclude. Earlier we mentioned, well, earlier we mentioned that Vice Premier Sun Chun Lai may not know that there is another mission from God that can have far greater impact to people and far greater personal meaning. We could question 
General Secretary Xi Jinping's dynamic zero COVID policy, because after all, he is a fallible human like all of us. But we can trust fully Christ's great commission to go and proclaim the gospel to all nations because he is the holy God and our Christ and our priest and king. We know serving in his sovereign plan to carry out his mission of salvation can be held on to unswervingly. The impact is far greater because when people are saved, their, life, their lives change forever. The impact is everlasting. For our serving Christ our King, what can be more meaningful than to see lives change forever? The eternal, awesome, and holy God reveals we are unclean, guilty, and sinful. However, Christ, our Savior, the priestly King, reveals that our proper response should be in gratitude to serve Him. As we go and serve Christ, we go as witnesses to the world and servants of the King. Our message to non-Christians should be, hear the gospel and repent. And our message to the believer should be, remember the gospel and persevere with hope. Friends, brothers and sisters, will you respond to God's calling? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? We are saved to serve at the pleasure of the King, so we have hope to share in the glory with the King. If you don't know where to start, start with this. Here I am, send me. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, you are holy, 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 the Lord of hosts. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross-shaped altar to take away our guilt and atone for our sins. Help us to respond to you in being your servants and witnessing to the world who you are. Teach us to proclaim the gospel with courage and clarity. Holy Spirit, help us to persevere with hope that we shall see the King. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.